Hey everybody, it's Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. You have an absolute treat coming your way because I sat down with Dr. Tamara Rogier, PhD. She is an incredible woman, um, a wealth of knowledge, and her specialty is with ADHD. Now, this is one of those terms that gets thrown around a lot today. You know, somebody goes on a little tangent, they're like, oh man, sorry, that was my ADD. Um, in fact, I, I think one of my other guests recently, you know, made a similar comment like that. And we had a little chuckle about it because he, he got sort of sidetracked while he was talking about how he recovered from ADD. And anyway, all this to say is like, this is mainstream language, isn't it? We all know what ADHD is. Uh, we, we have some idea. There's kind of a mainstream idea of what it is and what it is not. But I think after this episode, you're going to realize that there might have been some things you were thinking about ADHD that are not true. And um, there's also some some missing links about this experience and about this condition that Dr. Uh, Tamara shares with us. And it was really, really helpful. Uh, the other thing I'm going to mention that I think is really important for you to know is that um, is that ADHD has a high linkage with addiction. In fact, Tamara says that if you have ADHD, you will be addicted to something. The brain is just, it gets wired that way. The, the brain is wired differently when you have ADHD. Um, it is a fascinating, fascinating interview. And I, I want to just speak to those of you who, if you have been diagnosed with ADHD or you speculate you might have it, this is especially going to be really eye-opening for you. And maybe you're like, hey, I think I'm fine. I don't think I have it. You're still going to learn a lot in this episode and you're going to get tools and resources and an understanding of your peers, your family, your friends, and anybody else who's in your life that might be struggling with ADHD themselves. So I highly encourage you to give this a listen. And lastly, you know, if you have any struggle with pornography, uh, impulsivity, poor decision-making, we, we sort of covered the whole gamut and you're going to get tools and resources on how to regulate that better, even if you don't have ADHD yourself. So it's a phenomenal interview. Um, she is absolutely excellent. She just released a book actually called Your Brain's Not Broken. Uh, Dr. Rozier is also the president of ADHD Coaches Organization. Um, she's published in you know, science journals. She's the founder of ADHD Center of West Michigan. I mean, th- this woman has done it all. And to boot, she has her own experience with ADHD. So she's not just coming from a research standpoint or a clinical standpoint. She's actually coming from personal experience. So This is a great interview. I know you're going to love it. Without further ado, let's jump in to my interview with Dr. Tamara Rozier. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with my new friend, Tamara. Uh, She is a specialist in ADHD, a really interesting subject to talk about. Um, You know, I'm sure somebody listening has at some point said, oh, that's just my ADHD or that's just my ADD. Uh, It's become a commonplace term, but we're really on a mission today to bring some clarity and the reality is the, the context here is porn addiction. And uh, any addiction really has a bend towards ADHD and vice versa. And so we're going to dig into all of that today. I'm super excited. Tamara, welcome. Thanks for being here. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, so this is really fun. I wonder if we can just start off uh, a little bit broad, uh, kind of at, at a story level. How did you get into kind of researching to the point where this isn't just like an interest of yours, like you've done your PhD here, you've clearly committed yeah. yourself to this. Uh, where did it all start? You know, it really started back when, in, you know, I was just a mere youngin uh, teaching high school. And I found I was assigned to a group of at-risk students. And at-risk was code back then for mostly ADHD. Hmm. And I really figured out like, man, I am really good at teaching those kids. Like I just get them, they get me. Never dawned on me that I they have ADHD, I have ADHD. Never put <laughs> all those things together. Um, so it really started way back then when I just realized I was really good working with a certain type of people. Wow. And for those of you listeners out there who know they have ADHD, uh, they already heard something familiar. They know that when you're with another ADHD person, you just kind of link up in a very unique way. You talk okay. each other's language. Oh, interesting. Okay, really, really interesting. So uh, what? when did you connect the dots that what was going on was actually ADHD? Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to seem like a very slow learner because I technically learned about ADHD, sort of understood, but... There's a, there's a myth that floats around the ADHD community of if you're successful, you can't have ADHD. Hmm. And so, you know, I was teaching, got my master's, got my PhD. And so really that took me out of the qualifications for being ADHD. <laughs> and it right. wasn't until recent research came out and said, oh, no, no, no. High functioning people have ADHD too. Hmm. And so we're, we're shifting from this naughty boy description of ADHD, you know, the squiggly kid who can't sit still, yeah. um, always moving to this more sophisticated understanding of what ADHD is. And what that is, is that our brains are actually different and they work differently. Wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, that statement right there probably just allowed a bunch of listeners to relax their shoulders a little bit. Because I remember that. I remember we had the kid in Sunday school even who just would throw <laughs> tantrums and throw the toys yeah. around. He was super rough with the kids. Yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's Logan. He has ADD. You know, like yeah. kind of just put in his corner. Um, yeah. Can you maybe give us a, a, a redefine what ADHD actually is as a starting point? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to nerd out just for a quick second, but don't Please get nervous. Do. I'll come right back to you. Okay. Okay. So um, the ADHD brain actually works differently than a neurotypical brain. And so the neurotypical brain has a prefrontal cortex. So if your listeners tapped on their forehead, they'd be able to kind of know where their prefrontal cortex is. Right. And this part of the brain is very handy. It's delightfully handy for scheduling. Remember where your keys are. Short-term memory is there. Working memory is there. So all your listeners who are like, why can't I hold something in my head? Why can't I... Why do I want to blurt something out just so I don't forget it? Hmm. Well, that's a sign that your prefrontal cortex isn't working like it should. <laughs> and so the prefrontal cortex um, is to see to um, what we would call executive functions. And those are all the modern types of things that humans have to do. The modern types, like scheduling things, planning ahead, sequencing activities. Hmm. So... Most ADHD people severely lack in the executive functioning skills. Okay. And, and why is, is it just that they can't access those parts of their brain? Has their brain 
rewired? Like what, yeah. what exactly is it that yeah. causes the disconnect? Uh, it's different for all of us. Uh, okay. But there's something, uh, you know, maybe maybe a child was a preemie um, and that part of the uh, brain is undefined or like ill-developed. Uh, sure. Um, there's a strong hereditary component. So if, huh. if there's a parent who has ADHD, they have a 50% likelihood of passing that trait on to their child. Mm, wow. 50. That's significant. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, look back like over your shoulder at your mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa. And, and usually many of my clients could go, you know, my grandpa was really smart but kept losing things. Or he was kind of quirky in this way. Hmm. Um, or unfortunately, if there's alcoholism, um, that was a sign of, that's often a sign of, that there's ADHD. Wow, okay, really interesting. So um, I'm just thinking for somebody who's maybe listening, they're like, oh, I, I think I can connect some of the dots with my family. That's a very different narrative than like even, um, I think some people are proposing, and may maybe this is true, I was actually, I wanted to ask you this, but we're obviously in a very stimulated culture and environment. And I, I imagine it would be a mixture of nature and nurture where you still have the genetic component. Is the environment playing into it? Is it causing it or just exposing it? Uh, how does all that interplay yeah. kind of work? Okay, I love that you. I love this question uh, because it is biological, but uh, there's some things called protective features, hmm. and it's all about the environment. So many of the students uh, with whom I work, they are actually they actually have some wonderful protective features. And let me, for example, having two educated parents who will send you to ADHD coaching. That's a protective feature, uh, right? Okay. Um, I, I grew up in an emotionally abusive home. I didn't have a protective feature there. Hmm. Is that does that make sense? Like very much the so. environment kind of uh, my home environment was constantly out of control. So I had to play catch up in terms of my ADHD um, right. and my emotional and intellectual development. Okay. Whereas a lot of these kids I'm working with, I don't I coach adults also, but a lot of the um, children and students I work with. They actually have this head start because there's this wonderful protective feature hovering over them and okay. kind of helping them develop. So it's kind Is of like the genetic component can be like offset a little bit by environmental exactly. factors. Absolutely. So there's this other thing that we hear all the time is, why is it showing up now? Well, let <laughs> me tell you why it's showing up now. Um, back in the olden days, when I went to school, uh, the cognitive... Um, pressure on those executive functions was pretty low. But what we've done now to children is we've taken third grade level, what traditionally was third grade level work and pushed it down to kindergarten. Wow. And we're expecting five and six year olds who don't have executive functions yet, just because that's developmental. Hmm. Uh, we're expecting them to do that kind of work like sitting still, drawing it, you know, really big, um, you know, being able to plan ahead, being able to keep your hands to yourself. Um, and so because of that pressure, we see the anomalies pop up a lot faster. Hmm. Whereas I'll use my grandfather, for example, um, both my grandfathers had ADHD, okay. um, wow. really good men, uh, very smart men. Both of them uh, dropped out of school in sixth grade. Uh, one went on to train himself. This is back in the um, 1920s. 
uh, how to be an engineer. Um, wow. Because back in the day, you could do that. Right. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. You can't do that now. <laughs> you need at least a 12-year education in the U.S. to yeah. go on to university. Yeah. And so, so do you see like a lot of ADHD people really are at a, a greater disadvantage. And that's why we're popping up going, hey, we're not functioning, guys. Help us. Yeah, that's really interesting. So in some ways, if you have the predisposition for whatever reason, it's it's the right set of circumstances or environments that will almost, I don't know, activate it or, or whatever it might be. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, here's a great example. A um, couple weeks ago, I met with a guy who's a surgeon. Yeah, a surgeon. And I'm talking to him and we're, I'm talking about his child with ADHD. It doesn't take me long to realize this dude has ADHD. <laughs> yeah, sure. Now he's a surgeon, right? Right. And so the thing is, he's wicked, wicked smart. He used that. He had all those wonderful protective features of a home life. He hmm. had high IQ, which is another protective feature. And a protective feature is also being a male. Because hmm. um, I, men are allowed to act different ways than yeah. many times women are. Absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, he finds out he has ADHD. He's diagnosed. He walks into his surgical team and goes, well, guys, I have ADHD. You better step it up with me. <laughs> um, but that goes to show you. And, and the reason why it was coming up is he was hitting a wall, not um, in his career, but in his family. Yeah, right. Okay. So something I also want to add before we go on is because we can't use that prefrontal cortex, those of us with ADHD rely a little bit too much on our emotions. Okay. And we're kind of in a state of hyper alert, fight or flight or freeze. Hmm. And because of that, uh, we kind of, instead of, you know, doing the, you know, this calm, rational planner of the prefrontal cortex, we kind of have this like really nervous, angry neighbor watching over us and griping. He's a big curmudgeon and he's ready to throw a shoe at anyone who doesn't <laughs> fit with what we want. Hmm. So... We tend to be very, very emotional and make decisions emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where some of your listeners are getting sidetracked. I believe that. Yeah, because that obviously leads into the impulsivity and everything else. Um, and I do want to comment on that or ask you a question about it. But can you quickly just kind of, I guess, list what all of those different protective factors are? You mentioned being a male, high IQ. Um, obviously, uh, two, two parents in the home. Uh, what are some of the other things, just so that our listeners know? Well, uh, they're all the protective features. I can't list all of them because okay, I can't fair. come up with a definitive list. But okay, they're fair. all the protective features. Um, social economic status is one. Sure. Um, if your parents are both educated. Uh, let's see. IQ, definitely. Uh, gender. Um, you know, I live in Michigan. And... Uh, the city of Flint is in my state. And I don't know if you know about the city of Flint, but it's notorious for having lead in its water. So mm. a whole portion of the city has been poisoned with lead. Wow. Well, so a protective feature can actually be just having clean water. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we know lead, um, well, we know that lead impairs um, brain development. Right. Okay, so, wow. So there are all these little features. 
So I'll, I'll tell you one of my protective features that, you know, it doesn't show up in research, but sure. I had a very, very smart grandmother who was very strong. Hmm. And in the chaos of my home, she was this wonderful guiding presence. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, she's the, she's the reason I'm a Christian today. Um, and so without her, she was a huge protective feature. Does that make sense? Yeah. She gave me the notion of love and strength. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really helpful. I, I hope people listening are, are catching this because sometimes you hear about genetic predisposition and it's like, oh yeah, like darn it, you know, like I guess that, that's just the way it is. Um, but actually there's so many different ways that God can, can protect you and can use, yeah, if, if your parents are abusive, then he can use your grandmother to, to give you a protective experience uh, or to be a protective feature. That's really, really cool. Um, I'd like to add something to that because, yes. uh, okay, so there are these wonderful protective features, but if you're like me, you're like, oh, crud, I didn't have a lot of protective features. Oh, well, that's okay. You can still work. Um, you can still get diagnosed and appropriately treated for ADHD. There's a lot of hope. So no one needs to be a victim here. Yeah. And not in this day and age. That's good. That's really good. Okay. I actually wanted to ask a question about the diagnostic element of this. I used to volunteer working with children with um, Asperger's and autism. Asperger's obviously is um, no, long, no longer a thing. But one of the things that the, they would deal with in these organizations was that uh, parents were pushing for their kids to get diagnosed with ASD because they'd get more government funding or more support or whatever. And you could tell like the system was not perfect, you know, like it was definitely flawed. I'm just curious, have, have those things changed as we've understood ADHD? I'm not, I'm not necessarily asking for commentary on whether it's corrupt or not or whatever, yeah. but just like, how are they diagnosing ADHD these days? Well, uh, it's funny because I think schools, uh, schools in the U.S. are supposed to give, um, you know, appropriate accommodations. Hmm. And pretty much in the, here in the U.S., they've thrown up their hands like, well, everyone's ADHD. I don't know what to tell you. Huh. And that's not a legal stance that they take, but schools are overwhelmed um, okay. right now, especially with COVID. So uh, something that I think is important is even more so than a school accommodations is getting the whole family on board with yeah. what ADHD means. Because remember, where there's one ADHD kid, <laughs> if they're not adopted, yeah. there's many more. Yeah, and so right. we want we want to look at the whole family and think how how can we have everyone succeed? And I believe that's more important even than the school support. Yeah, yeah, okay, makes a lot of sense. Um, let's let's transition to sort of the I guess addiction impulsive element of this. Um, based on what what you know, Tamara, what what are you what what's the correlation or what's the link? Uh, are people with ADHD more prone to addiction or less prone? Or, you know, is, is there any kind of correlation here with all these different subjects? Yeah. So super bad news first, right? Okay. Lay it on us. ADHD people have addictive brains, period. Okay. Whether it's addictive to alcohol, pornography, gaming, you name it, the ADHD brain is wired in a way to get high from the addiction. And that's really what addiction does. Hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be um, a drug to get high from. Let me explain. So 
those of us who don't have that prefrontal cortex, you know, the part behind your forehead that works reliably, um, it means we don't have enough dopamine. And dopamine is our attention regulating hormone. And it just kind of helps us calm down and focus. Um, instead, those of us who are untreated, uh, with, especially with a stimulant, our dopamine goes up, down, up, down, up, down. And it, it's this ping pong instead of this nice, smooth line. Hmm. So the problem with this is, let's say we have someone looking at porn, their dopamine, they get a shot of dopamine. And that shot of dopamine feels fantastic. Then they want to return. And the ADHD brain is kind of short circuits. I want to do what keeps feeling good to me. Right. And without that prefrontal cortex to go, mm, I don't think we should be doing this. <laughs> the ADHD brain is like, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. Let's more, 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 more. Mm, okay. Yeah, and that makes sense because like you said, when the prefrontal cortex is you're not engaging it, you're behaving a lot more out of your limbic system, which of course doesn't have that reasoning, the executive functioning, um, exactly. so it makes a lot of sense. So is it that somebody with ADHD is more prone to addiction or it's that they are they will be addicted to something to compensate? I, I hate to say, it's not to compensate. It's okay. just, um, and, and let me be very clear, medic getting appropriately medicated for ADHD helps us not to be addicted. Got it. And I know okay. that's a strong statement yeah. and I'm going to stand behind it because it, it, it's the truth. Yeah. Um, unmedicated ADHD brains have the hardest time not to be addicted. Okay. So personally, I have never gone to, in, in Michigan, we have casinos and I have never gone to a casino um, <laughs> because I know that I have an addictive personality. I don't know when is when. Um, here's another example of my addictive personality. Um, for ADHD people, it's on or off. Okay. It's like a light switch. It's not a dimmer switch. It's just one or the other, full on, full off. And so I didn't know for a long time how people had leftover pizza because I would eat whatever was in front of me because I, I'm lacking a part of my brain that says, you probably had enough pizza. Huh. It's when I'm when the piece is gone, that's when I'm done. And that's, I like pizza. Pizza makes me feel good. Keep doing it until it's gone. That's part of an addictive little trait there. Hmm. Is this making sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, fasc it's fascinating hearing it in just like a small detail context. Sorry, continue. I just, really yeah, enjoyed. well, I just, I want people to understand that addictions harm us. And that's why I take it so seriously that we really need to identify if there is ADHD at play and to get that treated Yeah. and then get help for your addiction. Yes, that's really good. And I, I guess I could, I would venture a guess and say that like, obviously substance addictions are always what we think of. And you commented on that already, which is that it's not necessarily alcohol or drugs. Uh, like process addictions are at an all time high and continue, yeah. will continue to rise with technology, social media, and everything else. So this is like, this is like critical information, I think, for people to, to really take in. Yeah, I, I've seen this all, I've seen this before uh, with people with one addiction or another, they'll trade one addiction for another. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's still enslavement. Yeah. And that's still heartbreaking for me to see. Hmm. And um, it's a lot of it, and I'm talking directly to those 
of your listeners who have ADHD. Okay. Yes. Because I, the rest, I just don't know. So good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but for those of you guys who have ADHD, um, you're feeling intense shame. You're feeling incredible self-loathing at times. And a lot of that is because you're following the dopamine. And then when the dopamine's gone, the reality sets in. And it's like, oh, this isn't who I want to be. And hmm. a lot of this is chemically based. Hmm. Okay. I, I want to be clear. Sin hurts us. So I'm not trying to whitewash sin, right? I'm yeah, not, of course. you know, painting it a pretty color or anything. But I have a lot of compassion for people whose brains are different. Yeah, well, and that's kind of the beauty of the interplay of science and faith is I think understanding the brain's functioning actually helps us realize, oh, we're not we're not as terrible as maybe we were making ourselves out to be here. Like the right. the, the fix is maybe a little bit simpler because I think when you think there's something fundamentally wrong with you, then it's just a it's a hopeless battle. Like why even engage right. in that, you know? But exactly. if it's neurochemical, like like you say, like you can get medication for that and that can really make a huge difference. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so for your listeners who are, who know they have ADHD, I really want to get across that probably, um, you really need to start doing the work on the emotional regulation hmm. for those of you listeners who are like, Oh, huh, I might have ADHD. <laughs> your first step is diagnosis and then treatment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And emotional regulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get into that a little bit because we've kind of, uh, so we've talked about what ADHD is, some, some of the ways you're predisposed, some of the protective factors, and uh, we know there's some bad news in this, which is that you are going to have to deal with addiction. Obviously, um, being diagnosed is useful. Uh, it's the starting point for sure, getting the medication. What do you mean by emotional regulation? What, what is that and what might it look like? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, several weeks ago, I was working with someone, and he's a priest, and he's such a good, good human. <laughs> and I said, we need to start working on emotional regulation. And he looked at me, he's like, excuse me? I am very emotionally regulated. No, I, I haven't yelled at anyone for a couple weeks. And, and that's not really what I mean by emotional regulation. Okay. Um, it's not just losing your stuffings, and that's what people tend to think it is. Emotional regulation is learning how to hear the emotions, learning to be aware of it, and then learning that emotions will pass, and learning not to make dis decisions on those first emotions. Yeah, it, it just kind of getting uh, used to hearing the emotional part of your life. Okay, got it. What is there anything practical somebody can do? Like we we're huge advocates of journaling here in this conversation, but I know journaling can be really difficult actually for somebody with ADHD. Um, I don't know. Are there other other practical things people can do to start engaging that part of their brain? Yeah. So the first step is to figure out is to actually be able to hear it. So um, when I'm working with my clients, uh, usually um, if I'm working with someone with an addiction problem. And I want to be clear, I'm not an addiction specialist. Um, I'm an ADHD coach who happens to work with people um, because we have addictive brains. Yeah. Um, I first, something I first hear is, is the shame voice. And so I ask them to start, slow down and start to listen and separate that voice in their head. You know, hmm. you, have a, you have a voice and it's, it's really trying to drag you down. What do you, how do you think that voice, why do you think that voice is there? 
how did he show up in the first place? What is he trying to tell you? And really listening to the shame voice in a, in a slow way, not yelling at it, not sending it out of the room, but just to kind of figure out what do I do with this voice? Hmm. Is this voice trying to help me? How is this voice not helping me? Yeah. And that's the first step in emotional regulation by just slowing down and listening for the different voices. That's so good. I just talked with a colleague this morning, though, um, about this. And there are some, and, and he and I both said this, there are some men who can't do that first step. Okay. And here's why. Um, here's why we think, you know, we, we meet for coffee every once in a while, um, virtually, but... Um, Here's why we how, what we propose. Uh, we propose that th that certain men can't do that work because they've been told all their lives to be a go getter. Don't stop. Don't look back. Don't slow down. Go go go. Hmm. And by the way, your your feelings. Who cares? Yeah. And just right. keep going. And maybe failures are are um, feelings are a failure. So whatever the belief there is, um, a lot of times we actually, with certain people, I have to go back and kind of crack that. What, what is it that you believe about, about your emotions? Yeah. And that's kind of the first step to understanding you actually have ADHD. You have an overly active limbic center, which means your brain tends to be a bit more emotional. How, how do we hear that, see that? And we have to do that before we take responsibility for it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So one, one of the kind of undertones, I think, of what you're saying is you have to slow down. Like, yeah. it, it's really hard to tune into that voice. I, I know for me personally, I don't have ADHD, but I can get busy. My brain can go into that overdrive kind of state. Yeah. And it's very hard to actually tune in to what's going on. Um, but I'm guessing maybe what I need to do to slow down is different than somebody with ADHD. So what... I don't know. I, I'm talking about intangibles now, but I'm just wondering, yeah. like, is there anything that helps somebody with ADHD to slow their brain down a little bit and tune in? Uh, yes. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I do yoga um, and I do a very slow form of yoga. And there's times I'm like, oh, for the love, can I get over this? <laughs> right. And, and, you know, the, you know, I just watch something on YouTube and go with a YouTube person and she's like, and this is where you just empty your mind. I'm like, empty my mind. I have 10 <laughs> things talking at me right now. And if you're ADHD, you really understand you have 10 voices at least talking at you all the time. Yeah. right. I should say they're not literal voices because that's a different kind of thing, but you have this cacophony in your head all the time when you have ADHD. So for us slowing down, um, nature is a huge, uh, a huge benefit for us. Wow. Okay. Researchers don't fully understand this, but the, something happens to the ADHD brain when it's in nature. Huh. Um, it, it calms down and it starts to kind of synchronize. And it, it's, it's a very important thing that we're finding out. We don't know why. We just know that it happens. That's amazing. Yeah, that's super. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, and so uh, even if you could just do 10 minutes of outside time, uh, now, I, I, it's winter where I am, so that could actually harm you right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but finding ways uh, to be outside um, and to kind of, it doesn't have to be the quiet of nature. You know, if you have a park near you, 
um, a lot of my clients will talk about uh, walking barefoot on the ground, that that kind of, it rebalances. Yeah. And so ADHD people, again, uh, we look a little bit more like the earlier Christians than modern Christians. Um, and I want to just kind of, like early Christians were um, a lot more physically active when they talked with God, um, like walking mazes. Um, right, a like lot of stories about like monks in the river, they'd roll up exactly. their legs and pray and yeah. Right? Um, we really need to kind of think about those practices with our um, ADHD clients. Uh, hmm. We're much more, uh, I, you know, I have to tell you some of the best praying I get done is on my paddleboard. Hmm. And um, I, it's just, I can focus. My whole body is balancing. And that's when I really feel like I'm talking with God. Wow. Now, that's not the only time, but it's one of those just kind of magical things for me. Yeah. That's and really I come, good. yeah, I come back from being out on the paddleboard and I just feel like, wow, I really communed with my God. And so I want to encourage ADHD people to find their thing like that. And I know this sounds a little bit kind of, you know, woo woo or, but we don't have to do what middle-class Christianity says we have to do an yeah. hour of devotions sitting at our desk, which yeah. sounds horrible. And so, <laughs> so finding that, um, the other thing now, this is going way back. Uh, another technique is, and this, is, this sounds too simple to be true, but it is learning to breathe. Yeah. Um, most of my clients will kind of breathe in a very shallow pattern. And that actually tells the limbic center that they should be running from something. When mm. we breathe in deeply and slowly through our nose, that's when um, our brain relaxes like, hey, we can think there's nothing chasing us. We don't have to be in fight, fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, that is amazing. I, I think that that was really helpful. Even for me, I, like, I think that's, I can do totally see how if you have ADHD, that's going to be really helpful. But I think even for people listening who maybe don't have that, um, those two things right there are very, very significant. Um, you mentioned once somebody learns to emotionally regulate themselves, then they can take responsibility. What what does that mean to you? What what is it like? What's the progression here once they start to kind of master this aspect? Okay, love that you asked this. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, um, I'm going to give you a scenario. Uh, so I was working with a man, good man, right? He worked really hard for his family, loves his young family. He comes home though he's exhausted. And by the way, those of us have ADHD, we get tired fast. We use up all of our grown up energy. And we're exhausted. Right. Okay. And we're exhausted by five. And so he comes through the door and his wife's like, oh, hey, honey, could you, you know, how wives might tend to do. And then he loses his stuffing. You should know not to talk to me like that. Or you should, you know, you should know I need this. And just starts vomiting his emotions. Hmm. That's emotional dysregulation. So now those two show up coaching with me. <laughs> and... He's like, well, you know, we just need to teach her. He, she shouldn't ask me things like that. I said, no, you need to grow up and understand she's allowed to say that and manage your emotions. You are right. not allowed to vomit emotions on people. Because guess what happens? He vomits on his whole family. 
and then he feels better. Yeah, He's like, right. well, that's out. And he has, <laughs> yeah. he has a young child and another one on the way. What pattern are they going to be learning about emotional regulation? Huh, right. So taking, it, I, he was very slow to take responsibility for his emotions. And his wife was trying to like not trigger him. And like, that is not her responsibility. It is yeah. his responsibility. Yeah. So that's taking responsibility for your emotions. That's really powerful. It's cool. I love that example too, because I, I can't stop thinking about the genetic component of it. And it makes sense as well how, like if you're growing up and that's your father figure, that's the model you get for regulating your emotions. Even if you don't have exactly. the genetic predisposition, you're going to learn those behaviors anyway to, to model yourself. Like what else, what else would you go after, right? Right. Well, and that's, that's why, um, personally, I tend to work with families in the family system mm -hmm. because there are a lot of really wonderful people, but they've created a whole family system of emotional dysregulation. Yeah. And they love each other, but they can't figure out how to get along. And no one's managing their emotions. They're just walking in. And, I, and I'm sorry, I know the image I'm using is kind of gross, but I... I purposely use the word vomit because that it is that ugly what we can do to other people yeah yeah I, th I think that's more than appropriate and it the distinction here is really important because i think um i know for us like our messaging here is really strong on responsibility obviously it's a huge part of healing from addiction but you're so right that if all you do is tell somebody to just be responsible but they're not aware of that inner voice then all you've done is amplified that feeling of being powerless and kind of hopeless exactly. in the battle. So that, yeah. that order is really significant. Right. Yeah. So then um, do you reach a place like, I'm curious for you, because obviously you've been studying this, but you're also kind of like patient zero, so to speak, because <laughs> you get to apply what you're learning here. Yeah. Um, so have you reached a place now where you can, you know, what, what does it look like when somebody applies these and they, they get some momentum? Are they able to... Do, they, do you quickly nip it in the bud when you're getting dysregulated? Um, is your prefrontal cortex, you know, engaged on a consistent basis? What, what are some of the end results here when you start working through it? Okay, so ADHD never goes away. So I personally, I have ADHD and I work hard every darn day. Every yeah. darn day, I have to kind of arm wrestle my emotions. I have to arm wrestle my motivation, emotions, everything that kind of um, the dopamine regulation part, right? And I'm, I'm appropriately medicated, but it, it's difficult every day. Okay. However, um, now this is going to sound incredibly nerdy, if you'll forgive me, but it's like I've done enough training, I'm a Jedi Knight. <laughs> and so I still go into battle, but I know my Jedi power powers now. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Um, and so I'm not Luke Skywalker back in the swamp, not knowing how to do things. And I think a lot of your listeners may be, wow, I'm really showing a, a really geeky side of myself, but <laughs> may still be back in the swamp trying to, trying to figure out what powers he has. I know the techniques that I have, and I'm always working to refine them. Yeah. And so um, I use this metaphor with a lot of my clients, like, hey, you're getting to the Jedi Knight phase. Like ADHD <laughs> doesn't go away, but you can see it and you can work with it. 
Okay, that's really good. And you just made a whole bunch of Star Wars fans really happy with that analogy. That was beautiful. Such a stupid nerd there. <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, we focused a little bit more on sort of like the psychological and kind of the neurological side of it. But I want to talk about the spiritual side because you mentioned how your grandmother played such a pivotal role in you, you know, finding Christianity, uh, developing your faith. Obviously, she was a protective factor as well. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, how has your own um, like healing journey, how has that factored into your faith? Does it does it strengthen it? Does does somebody with ADHD have to maybe approach God differently? Or I don't know, I'm asking totally green on this, but just curious what your thoughts are. Totally want to answer this question, because before I wrote Your Brain's Not Broken, the original proposal I put into the publisher was just about that fact. And so okay. I wrote a whole proposal that was not accepted. They accepted, they, they came back and said, no, we want a general book. I'm like, I can write a general book. But the whole book was going to be on how ADHD affects Christianity. Hmm. And so I used to feel like a broken Christian. Because I would look on Facebook and see the mugs of hot, tea next to their devotional hashtag blessed (laughs) and think wow i can't sit through devotions and i really i mean i know my bible quite well i hate devotions there i said it i hate devotions and you know what all right i'm gonna be even bolder i hate devotionals i don't hate people (laughs) who write them i just hate reading them right (laughs) um and so it's very difficult for me i had to learn how to feed myself differently from how other people are fed. By the way, church is very difficult for me. Wow, do I get bored in the first 20 minutes. Hmm. Um, And yes, I can be listening to a sermon and he uses a Greek word. I'm like, well, I haven't heard that Greek word before. And sure enough, I'm down a rabbit hole searching after the Greek word and finding which commentary he got that from. And, And all of a sudden the sermon's over. I'm like, oh, whoops. And so I first have to understand, I'm not going to look like a neurotypical Christian, neurotypical meaning non-ADHD. And it's really okay that I'm not. I remember one day I was driving down the road and it dawned on me, hold up. God knows I have ADHD. God (laughs) knows this about me. And what if me spending time with him in the way that I was taught to what if that's just a social construct? What if I can spend time with God just by opening myself up to God and talking with him and spending time with him and and like taking time to listen to him? What if what if I can just relax and trust the Emmanuel that God is with me? Hmm. And there's a lot of uptight uptight Christians who just would get uneasy and bristle at that, but I'm like, but what if we can trust God to just be God, right? Yeah. So I'm going to take a little bit of a, I hope this is okay that I say this, but I remember that day when I realized God knew I had ADHD <laughs> and that it wasn't a big oopsies. <laughs> Tamara was only half-baked. Um, <laughs> I realized, I, I just, I asked the Holy Spirit, like, can I just count on you to nudge me? when I need to know something. And so if I need to stop and pray for someone, can I, can I just make a deal that we can hear those nudges? Mm -hmm. And by the way, ADHD people, I've done a little bit of on this research. 
And ADHD people will report that they feel like a nudging from the Holy Spirit. Um, not the weird oh. God told me to tell you this stuff. Sure. But this kind of quiet, like, stop and pray for her. Right. The still small voice kind of thing. Yeah. And yep. so I've had it so many times where if, and so the deal was, hey, if someone keeps coming to my mind, they come to mind once, I'll just stop and pray for them. Come to mind twice, I'll just really slow myself down and really pray. But if I keep thinking about this person, I'm going to actually reach out and call. And I have mm -hmm. to tell you, the timing has been uncanny in those times. Yeah. And so I think those of us who are Christians with ADHD, we don't, we don't have to pretend to be a different kind of Christian. We can kind of lean in who God made us to be. A lot of ADHD people are very, very sensitive to God's spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, when I interviewed people on their um, experiences at church, some reported that they sat and cried during certain points of the um, service because it was just so beautiful and so lovely. Wow. And so I think we do experience Christianity a little bit differently. Yeah. And I just want to encourage all your listeners. It's, it's okay to embrace. Like if you have ADHD, God totally knows that. <laughs> and he's not just, you know, hitting his forehead going, Oh, Darn it, that, that whole day, all those are broken. The day I made those people, they're broken. Yeah. And so that's where the title of my book actually came from. Um, your brain's not broken. Because I, I wanted people to know you're not broken, especially in front of God. Yeah, that is amazing. That, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really helpful. It's actually a good message for everybody to hear. Because, you know, um, at any given time in society, there's going to be something mainstream and it's going to feel like if you go outside, if you paint outside the colors, there's something wrong with you or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like even just based on what you've shared, I can imagine how even a 90 minute service or a 60 minute service um, for somebody with ADHD is probably just terrible in a lot of ways. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it, yes. And, and I'm not I'm not even saying we should make all of our churches ADHD friendly. I'm not right. calling for that. I'm saying right. if you're an ADHD individual. You still go to church. That's where we get our communal time. Yeah. But you know what? It's okay to meet God on your paddleboard. It's yeah. okay to meet God on your mountain bike. Be careful because that takes a lot more concentration. But, um, you know, it's okay to meet God somewhere else and really commune with him there. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. So I, I wonder if maybe we can kind of land this by just talking to a few different categories of people. Uh, maybe the, there's the person who's listening who's like, okay, you piqued my interest and maybe I didn't know this before, but maybe I do have ADHD. Um, the person who maybe has ADHD, but um, I don't know, maybe they have, they've, they've done some medicating and it's been okay, or maybe they haven't even done that, gone that far, but just somebody who knows they have ADHD and maybe needs some more steps. And maybe for the person who is like, Tamara, I've done everything you've told me. I still don't feel like I'm really making progress. I'm, I'm trying to just imagine maybe the different buckets that people might be falling into. Yeah. Um, what would you say? Okay. So first of all, um, diagnosis is the trickiest one. So I'm going to start there. Please. It all depends where you live. So you're oh. going to have to be your own advocate and figure out how to get a diagnosis. Um, I am going to tell you this. Uh, stimulants work for 80% of us. So okay. what get, might get your brain all hopped up calms down my brain. Right. 
And that was for 80%, Tamara? 80% of 80. 80 those, yes. Okay. But doctors, there are doctors who still misunderstand that what gets you hopped up calms me down. And so they treat us like we're drug seeking. And um, it's, a, it's a huge problem, it, um, at least here in the U.S., that doctors don't have a very good understanding. And so they kind of, there's a stigma of wanting a stimulant, hmm. which um, I won't go into how angry that makes me. Okay, so <laughs> um, to the second group, the um, not treated group, I want to say to them, you don't outgrow ADHD. Because I can hear some of your listeners like, well, you know, when I was in third grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And I took medication for a little bit, but you don't grow out of it. Hmm. Um, medication uh, most likely can still help you. Uh, we have come so long, so far in the days of medication. Uh, we don't just give kids Ritalin and like they look like drug zombies. That's like the 1980s. Yeah. We can dismiss that. No one looks like a zombie anymore. We just look higher functioning. Right. Right. right? So uh, to them, I would say, hey, go back and explore the medication. Uh, and, and here's how I, I think of this. If you think of ADHD as a big pie, we want to take out as many pieces of that pie as possible. So we want to take out the piece of pie. We don't know how big it is but has to do with medication. And for some people, that can take out as much of a, as a third of the ADHD pie. Hmm. And so to the group where you're like, look, at, look, Tamara, I'm doing everything. Yeah. I would say first, go back and make sure your medication is optimized. Don't settle for someone just going, I don't know, what do you want? Really find someone who, a prescriber who knows what they're doing. Um. And then start to work on the emotional regulation. For those of you guys who are working on emotional regulation and have ADHD, um, it's like walk, walking a tightrope without a net. It's just too hard. Um, yeah. Get the medication to help you. Yeah, that, that's really, really good. Uh, I was thinking about one other category of people, which maybe um, they don't have any of these issues themselves as far as they, they can tell. But maybe they just they, they know there's going to be people around them who, who will and they want to be a support to them. What's something that, that they can do to, to be you know, useful and, and I guess helpful to their, their friend yeah. who might be struggling? Okay, super question. Because um, if you have ADHD, you know that we're very, very sensitive to rejection. And so for those of you who don't have ADHD, the best thing you could do is love big. Hmm. And in other words... We're going to screw up. We're going right. to like make plans for lunch with you and then forget to put it on our calendar and stand you up. We will be horrified at our mistake. But instead of punishing us, help us. Uh, don't be condescending because most of us aren't stupid. It's just when it comes to those little, tiny, mundane details of life, we're notoriously bad at it. Yeah. So love us big and always be very clear, even when you give us feedback, that you're not rejecting who we are. Okay. Wow. This has been amazing. Um, I know people are going to want to connect with you, find out more about you. Uh, what are some of the ways that they can do that, Tamara? Uh, first, I'm hoping they read the book. 
because that gives a really good basis of what ADHD is, and especially the emo the emotional components that I've been talking about. Yes. Um, my website is www. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say that anymore, but uh, miadhd.com. M is okay. in Michigan, I and then ADHD. Perfect. So yeah, we'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much. This has been really uh, insightful. Uh, thanks for just letting me probe a little bit and, uh, and really appreciate your time today, Tamara. Thank you. Great questions. Really appreciate you. Oh, thanks. Well, there you have it. That was my interview with Dr. Tamara Rozier. I told you she's phenomenal. Um, man, just so much wisdom, so much insight. I probably had another 25 questions I could have asked her if time allowed for it. I just, I just thought that what she was talking about was really insightful and you know, one of my goals with these, even when we get people like her who are very educated, very academic, um, and, you know, clinically and research-based, I love getting into the spiritual stuff. And I, I was so um, taken aback by just how spiritually sensitive she is as well. I thought that was really beautiful. And, um, and man, I just hope, I, I hope that this brought some value to you. I want to really encourage you, especially if you're in one of those categories we were talking about at the end of some degree of ADHD where you're like, okay, I might have this or you know you have it um, and, and you need to get some help or maybe you're getting some help and it's working out but you just want to understand it more, get her book, Your Brain's Not Broken. It's available on all major platforms. We have a link in the show notes if you'd like. And I'd encourage you as well, if, if you're in that state where you're looking for maybe just a little bit more help, uh, maybe you've got some help, you've done some therapy, uh, you've got some treatments. Um, I don't know, may, maybe you just feel like there, there might be a little bit more that you need to fully manage ADHD and to just get along in your life, I'd encourage you, go check out her website. Uh, you'll be really glad you did. And if this maybe just connected a few dots on your experience of porn addiction as well, where you're like, oh, that's why I'm struggling. That's why I'm actually not able to you know, move forward. Or, or maybe it's just made you realize, okay, I am ready to move forward. Like I, I need to get some help and I don't know where. Uh, a great place to start is Deep Clean Inner Circle. That's a private community that we've created. It's available for all of our podcast listeners. And uh, we're going to do live trainings in there. You're going to get support and encouragement and regular coaching from me and some other moderators on our team. It's just going to be a place for you to really grow and to heal completely free of charge uh, with, with you know, uh, just a no expectation on your end, uh, on our end rather, of you. You can just come and join. You can partake as you would, but it's a great place for you to get started on the journey. And uh, the link is in the show notes. It's called Deep Clean Inner Circle. It's a private Facebook community, so you could do a search for it as well uh, if you'd like. Um, I'd love to see you there, but in the meantime, I want to thank you so much for listening. I wish you an incredible day, and I'll talk to you guys very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. 
I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Cynthia Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.